Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, the Internet's only Texas Longhorn Tennis Podcast. You are a part of the Burnt Orange Nation. You can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burntorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Subscribe on your favorite podcast server, wherever you like it. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by the man who currently owns tacofights.com. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? <laughs> you caught me with that one. Tacofights.com is actually something I am currently in the middle of this podcast. You're going to hear me typing. I'm going to be procuring such a domain. Um, Look that... for taco.fights to see if that's available. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll try some options. Taco. Uh, I'm positive I can get tacofights.eu if I have to resort to it. Um, but uh, or, or taco. I had a, a British friend who, uh, who once went played golf with me and asked the, uh, the cart uh, woman uh, for some tacos. And it literally was the most funny, you know, interaction as I watched for 30 seconds as they tried to speak the same version of English and, and understand what he was ordering. Uh, so yeah. So uh, taco fights as it were, but uh, yeah, man, I get it. Aggies, uh, they're humans too. They love tacos. You know, you know what, whatever color you wear, orange, maroon, red, we all like our salsa. We all like uh, we all like our, our crispy shells, our soft shells. Tacos are the best. No, so we've got a great uh, show for you tonight. We actually have uh, an incredible interview lined up to talk about the rice owls. Uh, spoiler alert: you're going to get a lot of incredible information about the rice owls out of this interview. We'll talk a little football, uh, talk a little recruiting, and then we'll down the forty. Texas officially wrapped. It's 2018-2019 athletic calendar this week, so we'll bring you a recap of what happened. We'll obviously close the show out with some bang the drum. We are 81 days out from kickoff, which seems like a long time, but it'll be here before we know it. So we are in week three of our Texas schedule previews, and we're on the Rice Owls. And we've got Carter Spires uh, from Pete Carroll was the Pete Carroll was right podcast. Also, probably no offense to any of our other guests that we've had, but the smartest guests that we've had thus far. Uh, Carter, how are you doing tonight? Good. How are y'all? Fantastic. Are, are you assuming he's the smartest because he went to Rice simply? Could be the law degree. Could be the Jeopardy win. You know, there are a couple of different things that factor into this. Two Jeopardy wins. Two. two Jeopardy. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. So definitely. <laughs> Like, no offense to the incredible people we've already interviewed or interviewed last year, but I don't know if any of them have won Jeopardy one time, let alone twice. As as another two-time winner of a trivia contest, UT's Intramural Sports Trivia, um, I can tell you it's it's always the second one that's tough. So, you know, congrats yeah. on that just to start yeah. us off. Kyle, yeah, was... you, you won that trivia contest <laughs> like Kobe won an NBA championship with Shaq. Verbit carried you. On the backs of Titans. Okay, uh, Eric, that's your one shout out for the season. So uh, we're going to jump in. Looking back, like David Bailiff had a good run with the Rice Owls, uh, better than most. He, he took him to four bowl games in his seven years, won a conference title. So thinking through in the second year now of the new regime with Mike Bloomgren, um, what's the what's the expectation like? floor ceiling for the rice owls this year and kind of in the in the immediate future yeah i think 
So I, I think the thing about about Bailiff and and kind of the previous regime that they had was I do think there were some people that were kind of surprised when Rice decided to move on from him a couple years ago because, you know, he took us to four of our like seven bowl games ever and won a conference championship and won 10 games two different times, which is it's pretty remarkable for Rice. But the thing about it is that he had kind of set a standard for himself in that mm. in that 2012 to 14 run that they were, you know, it's fine at a school rice like Rice. You're not going to get killed by the fan base for for slipping below that standard a little bit. But, you know, when you drop in wins three straight years, bottoming out at 1-11, and 11, and you just are at a point where it, there just doesn't seem to be any hope in the program, then that that is when I think you have to make a change. And, you know, the thing in terms of, of expectations for what this program can be in general and more of a broader sense – I think Bailiff kind of said it for himself. I mean, I think you, what I would like to see personally is a, is a, a program where you're consistently making bowls. And, you know, if you slip below the standard, you know, cause at, at this level, you know, you're going to have years where you, there's just a drop in the talent because, you know, you're going to depend on, on some guys. And when you lose those guys, it, it, you know, things just bottom out in a way you, you can't always replace them right away. Mm -hmm. Um, but looking for consistent bowl games and for, you know, when the talent aligns, being in the top end of the conference and competing for championships and, and putting a scare into a power five team when we've, you know, when things work out right. Um, for this year, um, I do expect the team to be improved in what we'll call year one. Um, if you've ever listened to, you know, podcast ain't played nobody and you listen to Bill and Godfrey refer to a year zero, there was no program in the country that was in more of a year zero situation last right. year than Rice. So well, that, I think that's fair. I mean, last year, the, the Owls struggled on both sides of the ball. I think it was 36 per game given up and managing 19. That's, that's tough to, to make that uh, turn into a lot of wins. But um, I mean, we'll start because I think either side could be room for improvement. We'll start with the offense. We often do uh, on these previews. Um, starting with the offense, what are you looking for um, more than 19 points a game, failing to hit the 30-point mark against any FBS team? Yeah. What are you looking for this year that means success to you? Like you said, I think year zero now into year one. Um, you know, what what is the biggest thing on the offense you're, you're hoping to see change or you kind of expect to see change that uh, you've seen in, in the offseason potentially? Yeah, uh, I think the biggest thing I'm looking for, and we'll we'll talk about the quarterbacks more in a little bit, I think, but the biggest thing is going to need to be some consistency at the quarterback position, I think, they, which they, partly because of injuries and partly because even when guys were healthy, they just weren't playing that great. Um, and particularly just like taking the plays that are there. Um, I saw a lot of issues with Rice's quarterbacks last year where they had some real issues with ball placement and just sort of throwing a catchable ball like you know the simple plays where you're you know you you bootleg and you got a guy open in the flat and you know if you put the ball in the right place it's an easy eight yard gain and the there were plenty of plays last year where the rice's receivers who were pretty talented just got balls that were too high or too low or behind them and you know even when they make the catch that turns what should be an eight yard gain into a two yard gain so you know in terms of I don't think you're going to see like whole scale schematic differences or anything like that in terms of, of what this, this offense is going to be doing. They're still going to be very Stanford influenced. Although I think a lot of people don't realize that rice actually ran only a little bit more than the national average last year. They weren't this like, like near triple option level team. 
um, they actually, so the offense coordinator is Jerry Mack, who used to be the coach at North Carolina Central. And so they do a lot of, of a fair amount of, of shotgun kind of RPO. They do some zone read stuff with, with more mobile quarterbacks. Um, so the offense will look basically the same. The, the key to me as, as in feeling better about how it's progressing for the future, because this season really is about building towards 2020 and 2021, yeah. is, is do we see some consistency at quarterback? So I think that kind of takes us to the the easy hop. We usually start with the quarterback. So third yeah. question in is doing good for us. So Rice for the second year in a row added a grad transfer QB and in, in Tom Stewart from Harvard, which I mean it makes sense go from Harvard to Rice, right? Um, so he's coming oh, off great. of a hip injury. So is is he kind of the presumptive guy who's going to be in you know, under center in the backfield? Because Rice kind of has a couple of options there. So if he's the guy, is is he recovering well? Do we feel like you know he'll be ready for game one? And if he's not the guy, then kind of who's going to be the guy uh, calling the plays for for Rice? I think he is expected to be okay. Uh, I'm pretty sure he had a dislocated hip against Yale. And then I think he actually had foot surgery in February. But my understanding is that he's expected to be full go for for fall practice. Um, It's either going to be him probably or Wiley Green uh, at quarterback. Wiley was a true freshman last year who they actually managed to. I'm not sure there's a coach in the country that managed that four game redshirt rule as well as <laughs> uh, as well as Mike Bloomgren did. They got a ton of guys that got as much experience as possible that got two or even four games. And and Wiley was one of those guys. And really, when he was playing, looked like the best of Rice's quarterbacks. Um, so it'll be between those two guys. If you know, I might have been able to make a more definitive statement one way or the other, but the problem with this spring was that Rice uh, is turning over the roster a ton and really just didn't have a lot of bodies this spring. And so they mm. even had to like cut some practices short and stuff. So mm. the offense in particular was a struggle uh, in the spring and green played pretty well at times, but it was hard to really draw something out of it when, you know, they had injuries at receiver, they are still waiting on two graduate transfers on the offensive line um, so it was hard to really draw a lot of conclusions from Green Spring. What I expect is that you'll see a situation like last year where Stewart and where Sean St. Cavage and, and Jackson Tyner were splitting time at the beginning of the season. I think you'll definitely see that in the first game or two, probably for, for Green and for Stewart. Cause you know, even if Stewart ends up being the guy that helps you win better now, Green is probably the guy for the future. So I think they'll probably split reps at the beginning and assuming Stewart stays healthy. I think he's probably gets more and more of the reps down the stretch. Is it, it just curious? Are they different styles? Cause I really don't know anything on, on Stewart's play style. Are they um, one pocket versus one, a little scrambler? Or are they pretty similar types of quarterback? Um, Pretty similar. I think uh, Stewart's a bit more of a pocket guy. I haven't watched a ton of his Harvard film, but yeah, yeah. what I've seen, he, he's not really a run first guy, but he does, he can get out of the pocket and kind of make some stuff happen on the move. Um, green, I think needs a little more development as a passer, but it's definitely like he, he's, he, he can move like they, yeah, they, ran some, they ran some zone read for him last year. He scored a couple touchdowns on scrambles and stuff like that. Um, I, but I don't see, you'll, I don't think you'll see the offense significantly change uh, when the, when it's one guy or the other. And then, I mean, it kind of leads naturally into that. I think from from what I saw and everything I read and, and just looking at the stats, it looked like receiver is probably 
offensive or defensive side of the ball, the, the position of strength, um, you know, with, with some returning players at, at multiple positions, I think thousands of, of uh, the yards from last season coming, uh, coming back. So is, is that correct? I mean, is, is receiver the, the place that you are most assured about or um, any surprises there? Yeah, definitely. I think I think receiver, they've got some some real talent. Um, Austin Trammell, who's the main slot guy, was their leading receiver last year. And then uh, Aaron Cephas is probably going to be the main guy on the outside. He actually, I believe, led the country in reception in yards per reception as a true freshman in 2017, which is impressive considering that Rice had a similar thing in 2017. And that was part of what part of what doomed that team is that they were just ineffective and constantly had guys in and out at quarterback and despite all that Cephas and with with very few in the way of other playmakers on that offense and Cephas was still averaging 25 yards a catch um and then they've got probably three tight ends that they like in Jordan Myers and Jaeger Bull and Jonathan Sanchez who um they will hopefully expect to Bull and and Myers last year put up something like 300 yards receiving between the two of them, which in this offense, you definitely want more out of that tight end position. So can I pause you right there? I just had to do a quick Google. His name is actually Jaeger Bull. Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) Wow. I I might have a new favorite player to root for. I mean, is that not the best tight end name in history? Other than Jake Butt, I guess, but... (laughs) I got nothing. That's fantastic. That's perfect. That is actually perfect. Jaeger Bull. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry to derail from that. <laughs> yeah. So, sorry to derail. The only thing else I had was, you know, thank you for Calvin Anderson last year. He actually um, was a fantastic addition to our team. Um, really, truly became a, a Longhorn fan favorite in just, you know, a, a few um few few short weeks but uh but this year i know you've had the the opposite we have some folks transferring in uh stanford center and and a, another tackle i mean it, it, does the line look to be improved from last year uh, i know that's gerald's kind of a man of the trenches and that's where he always watches first both offensive and defensive line so uh what, what does the offensive line look like for rice yeah uh the answer is we will see um, I think there was some optimism coming into the spring, but uh, the, it, you know, it's tough to say, you know, with, with spring practices, it's always hard to say because fans are always, you know, you can never be entirely happy because if one unit does well, that means it's at the expense of someone else on your team. Right. And the defensive line, which we were really worried about um, because we lost a couple guys to graduation and then had Zach Abercrombie and Roey Wilkins, who were two of our best guys, both grad, both grad transfer. Um, so there was some trepidation about the defensive line and then they looked fantastic in the spring, which meant that the offensive line, which had, uh, four guys who got considerable experience last year, um, in Cole Garcia, Shea Baker, Uzoma Osuji, and Clay Servin. And then one of the grad transfers, Nick Leverett from North Carolina central was already in and, and was in one of the starting spots at guard. So there was some some excitement about them, and they didn't look great in the spring. So they're definitely they're still they got in two more grad transfers over the summer. Brian Chaff in the center from Stanford, and uh, Justin Gooseberry, who was a D two All American at Wachita Baptist at uh, right tackle for them. So you know you never can't tell with grad transfers, especially guys moving up a level in competition. Uh, Lever, it looks like he's going to get one of those spots. We'll see about Gooseberry when he's coming in. Um, 
but you definitely feel like there's an opportunity after the way the line looked in the spring for those guys to come in and make an immediate impact. Um, so we'll see. There's definitely, there's a mix of guys who are experienced transfers coming in and some guys who played a lot on the line last year. Um, and another one of those, those true freshmen who got to keep the red shirt, but play a lot in Clay Servin, who was uh, the left tackle in the spring and looked like he's, he's really doing well at that. So there are some guys that you could see uh, an improved unit coming out over last year. Um, it's just we've we've kind of moved from a place of of optimism to to more of a wait and see approach after the spring. So with the with the offensive line seemingly comes the running game, right? And so uh, you've got a guy uh, Juma Ota. Oh, I'm the names on this team. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> I practiced it. Odiviano. I practiced it and got it wrong. So good to know. Uh, but he was probably like the one of the more intriguing backs from last year. Uh, his first seven games didn't really light the world on fire, but then like blew up for you know two and a quarter against um, Old Dominion. So is he going to be kind of the go-to guy? Is it going to be a backs by committee again? Like what's the what's the running back situation going to look like for Rice? It's it's definitely going to be a committee approach again, I think. And, you know, it was sort of funny for me because, you know, after that old Dominion game, I was I was kind of like, well, you know, here's one question answered. Like, here's here's the guy at running back. But in the spring, it's you know, it's not as though uh, Juma had a bad spring, but they had some guys really show out. So they have probably five guys who could potentially be in the mix to get I think they had four guys who had 60 or more carries last year and I think you're going to see a similar situation this year um so you've got Aston Walter who I think will be in his sixth year he just had another year of eligibility added um his twin brother Austin was Austin and Aston Walter (laughs) you want to talk about names we got names (laughs) Austin was the leading rusher and also I think had like 44 catches last year. Um, and I think Aston will play a similar role of be a guy who, who gets a lot of carries also splits out of the backfield um, and, and catches a lot of receptions for them. Um, Juma obviously is going to be in that mix. Um, they also have Charlie Booker, who is uh, another Harvard grad transfer. Um, we have two, both, uh, Tom Stewart is originally from Dallas and Booker is from Cyprus. So we are getting those Harvard transfers originally from Texas. So, so Booker's another guy who I bet will probably be in that mix, at least at the beginning of the season. Um, all three of those guys are a little on the smaller side. Juma's about five ten, a little under 200, um, uh, Aston's five eight two ten ish. Um, and I, I think Booker's. Booker's similar to Juma. I think he's about about 5'10", 200. Um, so they definitely probably want uh, a bigger guy to be kind of a power back, especially in short target situations when they're going those Stanford sets when they've got like eight offensive linemen and three fullbacks out there. <laughs> um, and the guy you'll see there, there are two real candidates. One of them is a guy, Ari Broussard, who was actually a walk-on linebacker last year. And they moved him to running back this spring, and he was just trucking people. He was... Uh. He looked easily the best of the running backs in the spring, and he's a bit I of a bigger that. guy. Um, and he so he earned a scholarship this spring after after showing out that way. And then the other guy is one of the higher rated commits in the 2019 class, uh, a guy named Juwan King from Atlanta, Texas, which is not a place I knew existed until we recruited this kid. <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, we got a guy from Atlanta. And no, it's Atlanta, Texas. <laughs> 
so one of one or both of those guys will probably play a role in short yard situations. So I think you'll see a similar situation last year where you've got probably four guys who get at least 50 carries or so. And well, I, I haven't even talked about Nashawn Ellerby, who is still on the team and was the leading rusher in 2017, um, but has been dealing with injuries lately. And I'm not sure what his health situation is like, but you probably got five or six guys who could fit into those roles. And I think Juma is definitely going to be one of them. Um, but at, at right now, it's kind of hard to say, you know, where it, what exactly the distribution is going to look like. I'd say you just save up all of your uh, all of your energy to do the the Dragon Ball Z Kai Blast the last game of the the year again and unleash Juma for another uh, two two twenty four and two scores. That, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that strategy worked the Spirit Bomb method. But uh, all right, so we've talked a lot of offense. Um, we do unfortunately um, have to talk about Bryce defense. <laughs> uh, it has not been a strength even when when Coach Bailiff was there, who was a bit more of a, a defense guy towards the end of his tenure. But the past couple of years, I don't think. Defense has been the bellwether of, of Rice's team. Um, replacing a few key guys, um, who is coming back or who are the new additions that are going to kind of be the contributors who we should keep an eye on, just blanket across any position on the defense? Yeah. I mean, the surprising thing is that this team, when you look at them coming out of the spring, is actually really strong all the way up the middle, at least in terms of starters. Um, and, you, and, you know, that's how it is when you're when you're a team at the – kind of the lower tier G5 level like in CUSA is that it's it's not the the top front guys that that is the difference between you and a team like UT it's the depth um mm. and those top line guys up the middle so they've got Miles Adams that's Miles with a Y Adams by the way we have a Miles Good. Adams with an I who oh. is a defensive end um <laughs> so, sure. so Texas had a yeah. Malcolm and a Malcolm Brown one with an L one without an L oh at the same yeah, time. yeah 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 so Miles Adams and Elijah Garcia are going to be your starters at tackle and both had really great springs. Um, linebacker is probably the strongest position on the defense. I feel like they've got two, their main kind of uh, inside off ball guys in Antonio Montero and Blaze Aldridge who are, um, yeah, again, with the names, Blaze, his, <laughs> his name is Blaze. Um, both two of the best players and Antonio was a true freshman last year um, who played basically the whole season. So he's a, he's a sophomore now and Blaze is a junior, I think um, both guys who just sort of run around with their hair on fire and are, are, are two of the best playmakers on the defense. And then the safeties in junior George Nyakwal, who I got to give a shout out to, cause he was, he's in uh, my residential college at Rice, which is Jones. Jones wins again for those Rice fans listening to this. Uh, George Nyakwal and Prudy Calderon. Prudy was a true freshman last year who was uh, one of the best, uh, just the to a total ball hawk. He, he led the team in interceptions, uh, turnover machine. Um, so those two are really good. So just all the way up the middle, the defense is really good. If you're looking for... Um, a position that will kind of determine the ceiling for this team is corner probably because so our defensive coordinator is Brian Smith, who uh, came from Michigan. He was the secondary coach up there. So he, he knows that Don Brown style. Like we have a, a guy he's listed as a linebacker. Uh, his name's Trey Sean Chamberlain, but he kind of plays that Viper position that that position Jabril, Jabril Peppers played. Um, this kind of a hybrid outside linebacker safety. He'll rush the passer. He kind of does everything. Um, but the position to watch really to, determine if this is going to be you know another really long year or if we're going to be if we're going to be looking at rice defense and say you know that was better than i expected and, and there was some real momentum moving toward next year is is the corners and last year they really went to a youth movement by the end of the year um and in the last couple of games they were starting 
a true freshman, another guy who got to keep his red shirt, Andrew Bird, and Tyree Thornton, who was a red shirt freshman last year. And if those guys can hold up well enough on the outside that Smith can play a little bit more of that Don Brown style, that blitzing, attacking, really getting all those guys going up front um, and kind of leaving the corners and, and other DPs kind of out on an island a little bit. If they can do that, then that I think raises the ceiling a lot for this team. Um, and if not, then it, it probably would be another long year for Rice in terms of giving up a lot of points and yards. So you're talking about reloading a little bit and kind of trying to find some some role players. An interesting trend I found when researching Rice, because yes, to all of our listeners, Kyle and I do actually research, <laughs> um, is that Rice is like over the last five or six years, like steadily risen, like not not big jumps, but you know, one, two, three spots uh, in the recruiting rankings every year. Um, and in 2019, they not only signed one of the better classes in school history, but also I believe the number six recruit, according to 24-7's composite, uh, in school history, Jake Bailey from St. John Bosco. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of a twofold. Like, what do you attribute, like, the increase in talent coming into Rice? And, and are guys like, you know, Bailey and, and his classmates – expected to contribute immediately yeah um so uh, i'll take the second part first i think in terms of immediate contributors on this team um probably uh, they're pretty deep at safety um they've got those two guys i mentioned and then they've got a juco guy named naeem smith who had a really great spring so i think they feel pretty good about uh about that position so bailey hopefully will not have to play this year um if you're looking for an area where true freshmen will contribute I suspect it will either be Jawan King at running back or they're almost certainly going to have to get. So they have two defensive tackles, uh, Isaiah Floyd, who actually is going to be the only 300 pounder on the defensive line this season. Um, yeah, it's a different world, you know, uh, so I, full disclosure to the fans, I, uh, the listeners, I am an, an Alabama fan. I'm originally from Birmingham. Um, and a graduate of UA law. So I, I have experienced both ends of the spectrum in terms of college football success. Um, and <laughs> moving between the two, it's the defensive line recruiting is one of the the starkest differences. Like Floyd, even as a 300 pounder is a guy who played a lot of offensive line in high school. So that's where they're getting him. And then DeBraylon Carroll, uh, who's about 285 and a little undersized and he's a shade under six foot, but um a pretty explosive guy at, at that size. So, cause after that with like, with Zach Abercrombie, especially transferring rice really doesn't have much in the way of bodies on, on the interior defensive line. So I suspect that at least one, if not both of Floyd and Carroll will, will play an immediate role on this team. Um, as for the, the recruiting trends in particular, um, yeah, I, I think actually at this point, Rice, I mean, it's June, obviously, but Rice has the number one CUSA class for 2020, um, which is which is very okay. impressive. Yeah. So I, I, I attribute that to a couple of things. The first is that, um, one, they're just recruiting like a, a staff should and a program should in 2019, which maybe wasn't the case a couple years ago. I mean, the, the staff is really active on Twitter. They're, you know, sending out the cool graphics and doing the hashtags to these kids. And um, they, they, and I, you know, you can attribute this to Joe Carlgard and the guys he's brought in um, our athletic director and, and the guys he's brought in like David Pillen, our director of marketing and Tanner Gardner, who's the COO, the things they have done to revamp, the image of rice athletics and to do a much better job of promoting it in social media and things like that. Um, 
has really, I think, modernized Rice's recruiting a lot um, in a way that it wasn't before. And the other thing is that Bloomgren and his staff are finally recruiting like I have always thought Rice should recruit, which is essentially the way Stanford recruits. I mean, so under previous staffs, basically every Rice football player came from Texas. I mean, Baylor recruited Texas first, second, third, fourth, and fifth, um, which is fine. There's a lot of talent here, but you know, when you're on kind of the, the, the tier, the level that Rice is, and you're just saying, we're only going to take guys from Texas, you're essentially making your peers UTSA and UTEP and, and, and schools like that. Whereas as an institution, Rice's peers are Duke and Northwestern and Stanford and Vanderbilt. And maybe we can't recruit the same, quite the same caliber of athlete that those guys can, but you can recruit like they can, which is, you focus on the talent you have around you because that's where your brand is the strongest. But uh, I mean, I, the example I give is that like, I'm from Alabama. My best friends from Rice are from like Dallas and New York and upstate New York and Arizona and Atlanta and places like that. Rice student body is really geographically diverse. And there's no reason that football can't also go out and pick a guy from Atlanta and pick a guy from, from Chicago and pick a guy like Bailey from California um, those are never going to be the majority of your class, but usually under bailiff, they would have one, maybe two, they'd have like a punter from South Dakota or, or, um, they had a Canadian pipeline for a while, like, uh, former Texan and current cowboy Christian Covington, who I knew when I was a student, great guy. Um, but he's from Canada. His dad was a longtime CFL star, but that was kind of it. And otherwise it would be 20 guys from Texas. Um, so just in the in the two recruiting classes Bloomgren has put together, they've had, I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but they've been pulling eight, nine, 10 guys from outside of Texas and getting, just picking a couple from all over the country, which I think is the way it should have been done all along. And I think that really gives you access to a group of kids that you weren't looking at before when you were only recruiting Texas. Random fact, Christian Covington is actually my fiance's favorite uh, Houston Texans player. She was devastated when he, when he left the city. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give her a fun fact. Um, I met him when I was a junior and he was, I think he redshirted his true freshman year. I met him because we took a musical theater class together. Awesome. And he's a very nice kid. He has a lovely singing voice. <laughs> <laughs> I love That's the it. Good stuff. <laughs> I love it. So we're gonna we're gonna move on to the the rapid fire piece. Okay. So we're kind of just gonna throw random stuff at you to be completely honest. So as you saw, right. Kyle was limbering up. So Kyle, why don't you take the first one? I feel like you you added some Houston flavor to this. So why don't Kyle? Why don't you take oh, sure. our first rapid fire? All right. Usually every year the city of Houston comes to a screeching halt. All eyes are focused on one thing. It's obviously the biggest game of the season, professional or otherwise. The Bayou Bucket. Surprisingly not named after a combo meal at Frenchie's. Um, <laughs> if I had to externally assume your biggest rival is, I, I would say U of H. Can you confirm this is true or is there someone else? Yeah, the, it's it's the situation has been made difficult by realignment. I would have certainly said U of H for a while. There's a sect of Rice fans that would have said SMU. Um, okay. It was a lot easier with those rivalries when we were in, in when everybody was in Conference USA with us. Um, now a lot of our kind of historical rivals have moved on and we're kind of forging new rivalries with mm. with UTSA and and um, and North Texas and and schools like that. 
Um, but definitely on the whole, I would say U of H. I mean, there's there's still there's the Bayou Bucket. We play three times in baseball every year for the Silver Glove series. Um, yeah. So on, on a whole on a whole level, yeah, I would definitely say it's still U of H. We just there's not kind of a natural rival left for us in Conference USA. So that situation's a little weird. So as a follow up, this works better for some of our other programs with really entrenched hatred. Can you say something nice about the University of Houston? And their cougars. Um, I, I sure it sure is a nice, pretty shade of red, isn't it? Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So we we mentioned off the top that that you're a, a two time Jeopardy champ. Yeah. Uh, which again, wh- I think makes you unparalleled as far as the <laughs> smartest person we've had on the podcast at this point. Uh, so. What's your what's your opinion of of recent champion? What do you think of of Holzhauser? Right, am I saying Holzhauer? Holzhauer, yeah. There you go. And really, I think could do you think you could beat him in a foot race? Is my is my real question here? (laughs) I I don't know about the. I mean, I'm 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 not that tall, and I'm like all torso. So so I got those short legs. I've I've never been a speedster. I don't know. I you know it's hard to tell. You don't know how tall people are because they're actually a little like little like platforms behind the podiums that they are raise them down to make everybody kind of look level. So I don't I like James looks skinny. So mm-hmm. like I don't know, he could be a runner, he could be one of those guys that's mm-hmm. just not carrying any body weight so he just scoots along real fast. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, that's tough. I'd have to size him up in person before I <laughs> before I could get an opinion on that. As far as his play style, um I mean, I think he he played the game ideally i mean i don't buy people who who thinks he, he's ruined the game or something like that because it's real money that you're playing for so you do what right. you can to maximize the chance of winning and the, the people have said that he he revolutionized the game the way he played nothing about it was entirely new there have been guys i mean alex jacob who was another um who was a professional poker player before he was on the show um so another gambler but uh, he uh he played basically the same way. He just wasn't quite as dominant on the buzzer and with not quite as much knowledge as James was. So guys have played like that before. And I bet I almost certainly would say that if say Brad Rutter, who's the greatest Jeopardy player of all time has never lost to a human opponent. Uh, if he were back on in regular season play now, I think he would be doing exactly what James did. This is the, and that's the in-depth level that I was hoping <laughs> to get. I, you're not going to get that on any other podcast, specifically Longhorn podcast or, or other. Uh, that is, that is wonderful analysis. I also like to hear <laughs> that there's, there's purists like the, uh, like the baseball hall of famer guys who are like, he doesn't respect the sport. Um, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, there are some people out there who basically think that if you prepare to go on Jeopardy, that you've violated some like some unwritten rule of 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 trivia that you're not supposed to like study or like study strategy, which is seems seems like a bad decision. Yeah. The, the rule the unwritten rules aren't written down because they don't exist. They're not real. <laughs> so I right, we have one one more I want to uh, I want to end on because you are an Alabama and Rice fan and you told everyone that I do need to to give quickly your your you know one sentence answer for each in what way were you surprised at similarities and what's the most unbelievably glaring difference between uh, Alabama and Rice as 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 uh as schools as fan bases as football teams however you feel that you could sum up the uh paint paint the differences between between the two yeah ooh um there's not a lot of com- commonality it was definitely sort of a culture shock for me being on um 
on Alabama campus. Not not in terms of like what the fan base was like, because I was already entrenched in that. I knew what that was like. But being on Alabama campus and you know seeing the flocks of like uniformly dressed sorority girls walking by these like if you've ever been on sorority row in tuscaloosa which is right near i live like a halfway between the law school and the stadium which is like uh i was like basically half a mile from each which was fantastic um (laughs) but that's right on sorority row and those places are mansions like like (laughs) just palaces and i was like what is this um but the one thing that that doesn't change is that uh there are still um crotchety old fans with wild expectations about what the program should be um for alabama it's the people who uh very literally believe that the forward pass is evil um for rice it's uh the the old guys on a on a forum called the parliament which are still entirely convinced that uh rice is going to return to the glory days of the southwest conference i'm glad to hear they exist (laughs) they do they do there's a very very dedicated core of them I love it. So, uh, Carter, man, where can folks find you on the internet if they want uh, more of what you've got to offer? Yeah, uh, uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, at RTRFND. Um, I will be on there talking about college football and tennis and the NBA uh, mostly, uh, but also some nerd. Like, I'm a huge Spider-Man fan, so there's there's plenty of 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 spidey content on there i will i will add an additional plug for if you are interested in any rice content at all there there are two people you should follow one is glenn hill who is our one beat writer uh he's the the rice beat writer for the houston chronicle he's at rice cron on twitter and then the other one uh is a guy named matthew bartlett who runs a fan site for who runs basically the only fan site i know of um it's it's at the roost dot or the roost. It's at the roost dot com. You can you can follow the the Twitter account at at, at the roost. Um, those two guys do a really good job of covering the program because the, there's not a lot of media that you can follow for really specific rice coverage. And I think both of those guys do a really stellar job of doing it. Love it. Awesome. Well, All Carter, right. thank you so much for for taking some time out to uh, to indulge yeah, sure. our idiocy for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Uh, it was a good good time, man. And you were a fantastic guest. Thank you. So news broke this week that uh, Texas wide receiver Alvante Woodard uh, is going to be out for uh, at least six weeks or so with a foot injury, according to Anwar Richardson. Uh, He will not be available for fall camp. Uh, Woodard was a guy who was probably going to be competing for playing time. He was an incredible pickup in the 2018 class, played, um, got a red shirt as a freshman, so going into his first real game action this year. Kyle, the receiver room is loaded, but a guy like Woodard was a guy who was projected to probably get some, some good playing time this year, especially uh, with some needs at the slot and, you know, trying to figure out who's going to be on the other side of the field from Colin Johnson. So what does this do to the receiver room uh, that's starting to see like a but it feels like death by a thousand paper cuts. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I was actually going to kind of mention that as we keep saying it's loaded and that's not untrue. There is a ton of talent, but you've, you've basically, I mean, I think if that Z spot Duvernay obviously is the guy, but I mean, you could have, you could have theoretically said that the next two guys in that Z uh, receiver role, uh, depending on who you put in the slot could have been Brew McCoy and Avanti Woodard. So they're both off the depth chart. Now, again, I think that, you know, this opens up opportunities. You, Obviously, have uh, you have Jake Smith coming in, you know, who 
Um, we haven't seen because he wasn't here in the spring, but seems to be the type of guy who can play instantly. Uh, you can put Malcolm Epps at any of the positions out on the field. Jordan Pouncey might create some chances for himself, a guy who, um, you know, has a lot of talent. Just we're, we're waiting to you know, give him the opportunity to show it. Um, so, I mean, you know, Brennan Eagles, we'll see what he can do. So, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of guys still, but yeah, it's, it becomes a little concerning when you just think of kind of natural attrition and injuries and guys might miss a couple games here and there. You want to keep your deepest and most talented position. Um, you know, you don't want to just take it for granted and all of a sudden you're five people, uh, five people deep, um, you know, fill in plug in holes. So um, I do hope yeah, feet, foot injuries are, are finicky. Like the feet are so important to an athlete. Um, you Especially know, it's, a wide it's, receiver. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's my brother is, is, is greatest trade. He was very fast as a college wide receiver, but they, they said his, his route running, they compared him to Steve Largent um, just like the, the, you know, footwork and ankles and, and kind of ability to, to break. I mean, you, you have to uh, have to be healthy uh, on, on the feet. It's, it's literally the, the, a sharp cut, Versus a you know a lazy cut um, is the difference between a completion and and an interception. So I mean it's um, hopefully he can get back this year, but it, it wouldn't entirely surprise me if they you know shut him down. Yeah, and it's it's tough to see that because he's a guy that like when Texas picked him up last year, I was I was dancing in the streets right. Like he was a he was a guy who probably could have been a contributor last year in you know in previous years texas would have called on him as a freshman but they didn't have to because of the depth and so uh it's going to be interesting to see i mean the night the 19 guys have arrived on campus and they all cleared uh to kind of move on and continue that conversation so i think you mentioned uh jake smith is a guy that i'm really interested to see what he can do in burn orange right i think he's a guy that as Texas fans look for um, who's going to be the next man up. Cause it's, it's less of like a, we don't know who it's going to be in a bad way. We're just like, it could be any of these guys. I think Jake Smith is a guy uh, to keep your eye on. When you talk about do everything guys um, of the 19 class, one of them is still there. Jake Smith who can do anything. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's not sounding the alarms. I think there's still a ton of talent and, and that offense is still ready to hum, but uh, you, you know, let's just, let's keep knock on wood, uh, do, do our, um, you know, whatever types of candles need to be lit and, and, and get some, uh, get some good vibes for this team. So just using that natural segue, all, I guess the rest of the 2019 signees, the 15 that were not or already on campus, uh, cleared for summer enrollment at UT. So they are there. They're moved in. We mentioned it last week. I think they took them to Pluckers in West Campus, which is great. Um, this is the number three class in the nation coming in, mm-hmm. uh, bringing in a huge influx of talent to Texas. So that's that's a good thing that. Texas is able to because it's not you know it's not a foregone conclusion that all these guys qualify academically no shots at anybody it's just that's a reality of recruiting like it's great to get them to sign but then you have to get them on campus yeah and I mean again not to take shots but to also be specific I mean remember the Florida five for Florida five easy for you to say uh under Charlie Strong there were a bunch of guys we were really excited about and kind of was Texas's first big foray into going out of state I mean you saw Tom Herman's first class he took 11 of the top 15 guys in state this last year he you know eight different states were represented in Texas's recruiting class so um you know when you kind of go outside of Texas you want to make sure a that your Brew McCoys and guys who don't actually end up uh enrolling or do enroll but don't don't stick around and then you have guys who can't necessarily qualify which is not an issue 
you know, unique to not Texas. But like I said, as we kind of broaden and change and adapt to the, the 21st century with our recruiting strategy, you want to make sure always that you get the best guys, you get the best guys on campus, you keep them on campus, and then you, uh, you know, you send them to the NFL. Yeah. And you mentioned the Florida five, what, two of those guys made it on, made it on campus, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, Devontae I Davis, is, I think, is the, maybe the only guy. Maybe the, I think he's the only one certainly to graduate. I, I'm, I'm curious if any of the other two made it uh, or other three made it on campus. I, I, I really honestly don't remember, but I do remember just kind of back to back. We lost two of them right, you know, right in the, the preceding weeks before before school started. Texas is, like we said, it's just as important to get them on campus, right? It's great to sign them. It's great to have the big signing day, but if they can't get in the uniform and get into the school and – Regardless of what people are saying on Twitter about football GPAs for a semester, like Texas is an incredible academic institution. And so it's not everybody qualifies, not everybody gets in. So it's good to get all those guys on campus. Uh, And speaking of big recruiting news, Texas picked up its first commitment for the 2021 class, a big piece in continuing to chip away at that dome around the DFW Metroplex. Quay Davis from Dallas Skyline. Uh, I don't want to... Quay Darius Davis, I believe, is the full uh, name. He is a uh, receiver from Skyline. 2021 uh, doesn't have star ratings, at least for the composite yet, but 24-7 has him as a four-star guy, um, which really excited for that. Uh Top 100 guys, big receiver, six foot, 193. Anytime I see numbers that aren't fives or zeros, I assume it's actually their weight. So six foot, 193, big piece to start the 2021 cycle with. Yeah, and breaking news here on this podcast, as we have been doing the past few weeks, um, he does not neither does this class have a hashtag nor does he have a nickname i can't solve the former but i will solve the latter you heard it here first folks this is senator quay davis if you're fans of the hit hbo um perfection show the wire um i will just say shoot um quay davis that's senator quay davis welcome a guy quick strong hands fantastic uh, jump ball could grab it one-handed um really great after the catch just you know we talked about receivers let's keep the talent pipeline going and i think we we mentioned it the the dipping your toe and finally trying to get uh the metroplex thing going coach samples is proving to be uh just as important of a recruiting piece as brian carrington is uh to that recruiting staff because Kyle, you did this math, so I'm not going to take credit for it. But in the past, what is that, five years? Mm -hmm. Texas has just seven. Or I guess Tom Herman, not Texas. Two years at Houston. Excuse me. So Tom Herman has seven in five years DFW commits. And two already this year from DFW. Yeah, I mean, he 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 had three his first year at Houston from DFW and then had zero his second year at Houston, one Max Cummins, uh, his first year at UT, two Brian, uh, Byron Hobbs and Rafidi Grimai uh, in 2018. Um, and again, 2018 was a, was a year when he went and got all the talent uh, that was in Texas. And then uh, 2019, 26 signees, only one from DFW, but it was Tyler Owens. Um, so, you know, he got good players, but didn't, you know, take the, the kind of uh, – it didn't go for the depth and get the um, the multiples from from there. So um, you know that's 107 actual signees since he's been a head coach and seven 
uh, from the the DF dub. So it's really good to see. Obviously, Carrington's a Houston guy. Herman, you know, has two different stints in Houston. A lot of that staff came from Houston. Um, so getting Rashad samples is has been huge for them and just a, a direct pipeline into uh, Duncanville, which we talked about last week and just one of the best programs in the country. Um, but also David Beatty isn't on the staff yet, and he made his bread recruiting DFW. So it's clearly a priority. It's clearly a um, an area that they are willing to roll up the sleeves and fight for. I mean, like I said, you, you said two. I mean, technically you call it two and a half, Jake Majors and Prosper, which uh, folks in the DFW you know, tweet at us, let us know, do you count Prosper? as the uh, as the Metroplex. Um, and then again, 100% of 2021 with Senator Quay, um, one commit in that class, and he's from the DFW. So um, a, a very welcome and very, I think, relevant trend as, as we see Texas kind of spread out geographically. They continue to mine Arizona and Louisiana for some talent, which is a natural kind of progression. Um, there's not a ton of talent in Oklahoma. Sorry, Gerald, I live there, but um, just not a lot of talent in that state. Somehow they come and steal ours from, from the DFW. Um, so we're, we're going to, we're going to do a good job, I think of, of putting, um, putting some, some fight up there and just uh, not seeding one of the biggest uh, football hotbeds in the country. So I'm excited to see this. I think this is, this is how you build, you get Dallas, you get Houston, you get your guys from Centex who are, you know, the, the Lake Travis and Westlake and the, the, even the, the other, the San Antonio schools and, and from Central Texas where you should have the most natural advantage. And you kind of put those three together. You can build, as we've seen, Mac Brown and, and many coaches do, national championship teams. But you sprinkle in the flavor of a couple California kids some Arizona. I really like to see that. I really think that puts Texas uh, in a unique position where they're centered in the country and where they can go and, and extend their national. It's no secret that Herman is not just going to recruit Texas for the sake of recruiting Texas. He's going to recruit top tier guys and they just happen to be from Texas in a lot of cases. Right. So he goes out and, you know, you get a Jake Smith who the, the receivers in Texas were great last year. And there were a couple of guys from Austin that Texas missed on, but Jake Smith was the player of the year, right? Like national Gatorade player of the year. So he's going to go out and get him. Keely Ringo is a guy that's a, a pretty big Texas lean regard, you know, depending on who you talk about Keely Ringo, there are a lot of incredible cornerbacks, but there are no Keely Ringo's in the state of Texas, at least this year. Right. And that's no, no shade in anybody in the state of Texas. Keely Ringo is a guy that could probably play two years rather than three and go to the NFL. He's just that good. Right. So like Herman's going to recruit the best. And when they're in Texas, he'll go after them, which is mm -hmm. exactly what Texas needs to do is you try to get the best kids in Texas and then supplement from there. And right now in that 2021 class, the top five prospects, and it, and it was the inverse a few years before um, in 2018, where Houston really dominated that list. The top five prospects are all in the DFW area. Um, so, I mean, again, it's, it's strategic. You don't want to give that up, but like you said, follow the talent. Where's the talent? Hopefully that's right where Tom Herman is. For sure. And I mean, it doesn't hurt that the number three player in the 2021 class, Tommy Brockermeyer, offensive tackle, Texas legacy. So that'll <laughs> be, I honestly assumed he would be the first commitment. So uh, I was, I was wrong. I'm just waiting for like, come on, big man. Let's just go ahead and uh, go ahead and make, make it official. What everybody already knows in their hearts, let's put it out there for the public. So now it's time uh, where we're going to take you around 
to the sports that don't necessarily get as much shine as they should. And we're going to down the 40. Like we mentioned, Texas officially wrapped its 2018-2019 athletic season. So just to recap, men's tennis NCAA championship, men's golf NCAA runner-up, men's swimming runner-up, rowing NCAA runner-up, Texas Sugar Bowl champs for football, 10-4 and four season, Elite 8 in volleyball, Super Regional in softball, the National Invitational Tournament basketball title, two individual titles for track and field, uh, women's golf finished in the top 10, women's swimming and diving finished in the top 10, women's tennis finished in the top 10. I had to take three breaths reading off that list because it was that long. Yeah, and you, and you said women's golf finished in the top 10. They finished the number one ranked team they didn't win the national championship but the number one ranked team in the country i mean it's 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 the fight and chris del contes are here and it's beautiful love it love it so uh quickly both track and field uh teams men and women finished in the top 10 like we mentioned men finished ninth uh trip piper which great name love that won a national championship individually as a shot putter and jonathan jones ran the first sub 45 second 400 meter in the vaunted texas track and field history again my man from barbados what's up fam the women finished 10th. Uh, Ashton Zamzow took the heptathlon, which I'm just just tired reading the events in the heptathlon. Uh, she's <laughs> the first uh, Texas woman ever to win the event. Uh, she actually had to, to come from behind a little bit to win, which was exciting to watch. Uh, 11 All-Americans in total. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, <laughs> Zamzow, may, may have been Zamwow, you know, or, 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 or Shamwow. Um, anyway, so that was really good. Glad to see the track. So let's move on because I'm... Uh, crushing it golf uh we got players in the arnold palmer cup uh four longhorns three from the women's team and cole hammer obviously uh from the men's team competed uh it's basically like the the collegiate rider cup if i'm understanding it correctly yeah collegiate rider cup but it's also it's it's um you know you get men and women playing together competing um so it's mixed uh um pairings which i think is awesome actually i'm surprised there isn't anything else like this or even a professional version of this it's very cool to watch um and and texas was one of just two schools to have four people um in the i believe 48 there was 24 americans and 24 representing the international team um and like i said only two teams had four i believe only like five teams had multiples but vanderbilt and texas each had four uh representatives so really really impressive stuff from the golf team and i love seeing the freshman cole hammer uh and the freshman Haley cooper team up i mean freshman showing that texas is not only good uh but they're going to be good for a while um but just you know to put a pin in the golf season uh it, well it was the uh the agatha lasney led um international team that won but to put a cap in the longhorn season um Hammer finished the season as the uh, outstanding freshman and also first team All-American. And then women's golf posted their third, fourth, and fifth best stroke averages uh, all time school history. That was Cooper with a 72.28, Lasney way behind at a 72.30, and Pap, again, laggard uh, at almost an entire stroke behind the second greatest um, out, outing, you know, average of all, all time at 72 point three six and again that's that's freshman sophomore sophomore so really really fantastic stuff from the young horns who should be uh who should make golf a, a must see for the coming years that's that's the front nine right like that's that's a <laughs> that's for the first nine 
I'm a terrible golfer. Uh, so really random tangential. We mentioned Texas was the national invitational tournament basketball champion. Uh, the three point line in basketball is being moved back because Texas is going to be back in basketball. So the horns made their money with this change three point line in the NIT. Is this going to be a, a, another burnt orange media conspiracy piece when Texas wins a natty uh, in the big tournament this next year? Uh, admittedly, they shot better from, I think it's two ish feet. I, I don't have the exact number in front of me anymore, but um, it's moved back at least two feet. It, I think they actually shot better in the NIT than they did in the regular season at the very uh, short collegiate line. So yes, clearly they moved it um to you know help the horns they saw they were good uh from further back so they're doing that clearly i mean despite the fact obviously that they started this in the nit the year before but nonetheless it is uh purely uh for the longhorns the the three-point line much like the longhorn football team they're back uh someone who's not coming back women's basketball uh sedona prince entering the transfer portal uh after one season of you know, missing with a massive injury. Yeah, it was sad for her. She was a huge recruit, McDonald's All-American uh, broker leg, actually playing for the USA U18 team in the national or the, the America's championship and, and never got a chance to play on the 40 acres. Sad to see her go. Um, she's from Liberty Hill, you know, uh, local kind of central Texas girl. So wishing her the success wherever she does go. But uh, that that's going to hurt a little in that women's basketball team because uh, having a center, I think she's six, eight, uh, you can you can build around. So uh, hopefully they have some good, good recruits coming in in this class. So hopefully they can uh, they can replace and, and keep moving. Texas had three baseball players drafted uh, and then some signees as well. Uh, Blair Henley was drafted in the seventh round with the Astros. David Hamilton was drafted in the eighth round and Ryan Reynolds way out in the 14th round for the uh, Chicago Cubs. Chicago Cubs. I'm not a baseball guy. Uh, (laughs) And then three of the four high school draftees that Texas had uh, are planning to enroll. Um, Not the guy that was picked in the first round. Right. Pretty sure he's going <laughs> to end up going professional. Uh, but the other three guys will end up in burnt orange. Yeah. I mean, Brett Batty, it was it's it's a weird thing in baseball because you're like, oh, he's really good. And it's like, don't do so good. Do a little worse uh, your senior year because he got picked 12th. And that's about a I think like a four, four point three million dollar slot. Um, so, you know, it's it's education is very valuable, but go get go get paid, son. Um, I mean, last year, similar thing in the second round, Simeon Woods Richardson, who's who's um, uh, I believe in the Mets organization and, and uh, as well and uh, and is re- looking really good. Like he's probably going to get called up soon and have a pretty good career. Also, Corey Holland in the 14th both chose uh, to go pro, which, again, you can never fault a kid. But this year we actually had something great with the Longhorns of the four drafted the three besides uh the third baseman from the austin area we had the uh the other three stick to the burn orange catcher silas i don't even know how to say this i believe it's our um got drafted in the 20th but he might be our starting catcher actually next year so i get why he came and he he could have a good career and, and bump that number up uh jared southard who's one of those guys that's good enough he's really really good that uh, the Rockies drafted him in the 36 just to kind of start, you know, like, uh, you know, exchanging flirty glances. They knew he wasn't going to sign, but like, hey, remember us? Uh, and then uh, my favorite of the bunch in the 39th, um, Trey Faltine, who, again, could have he's a top 150 prospect, could have gone a lot higher. But everyone knew this kid 
bled burn orange and and knew that because he said as much and he said it in the coolest way that i've ever heard it is now the way that i will refer to uh my outfits um pretty much everything in my life except for my toast he said if it ain't burnt it ain't turned um which is <laughs> that's the new catchphrase of this podcast i believe um it's in the twitter yeah. bio it's it's so good. I mean, Trey Faulting the third. Uh, welcome to to being an instant favorite of this podcast. We will be literally rooting for you uh, every week because you're an instant legend. Um, and then he actually also has a really good. Um, it, it, he fits a really good need because the the uh, as you saw, David Hamilton got drafted in a position that's scarier than we expected it to be that he very likely could not come back and then the news broke this week that's uh the guy who filled his place for the first half of the season shortstop bryce reagan is entering the transfer portal and if hamilton goes that will be three shortstops that we are down with mason hibbler having graduated we know how texas did without a reliable shortstop this year that's all i'm gonna say uh so we've got some replies of texas this week. So again, if you want to have your tweet read on the podcast, just shoot it at us using the hashtag replies of Texas. So USC announced a 10 year deal to name the Coliseum. This I'm going to take a breath reading this United Airlines field at Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. So from uh, from at Verbit, Eric Verbit, who got two shout outs in this show, weirdly enough. Uh, Weird. So, right. Uh, this is so wrong. I can't imagine UT selling advertisements to DKR. So, Kyle, we know that Texas is not going to sell advertisements on DKR. That will never happen. Red McCombs will will shoot himself before he allows that to happen. Uh, so but hypothetical for funsies, if Texas had to sell an advertisement for DKR, what Mm. brand would you pick or be okay with to be the title sponsor of Daryl K. Royal Texas Memorial Stadium? Man, my mind instantly goes to the uh, Pluckers Fried Pickles field at uh, Texas Memorial Stadium, but I know that obviously is is a little outlandish and maybe very, very niche. Um, I mean, I could... We could call it the jar! (laughs) Okay, we now we now need to make this happen. Um, but I, uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna hardline here. That will be my answer. But I'm gonna say the word memorial in it, just like in the LA one, pr- prohibits me from thinking this can ever or should ever or will ever or if I there will be an uprising if it did. Um, hashtag America. You, you mean come on this. Uh, Naming it the Daryl K. Royal Texas Memorial Stadium is one thing. Naming it the, you know, uh, Mozilla heavy tractor pull, um, you know, Memorial Stadium isn't going to happen. But in lieu of that, I got to hear your answer. Pluckers was going to honestly be uh, the other one that I thought of was Tito's Vodka. Oh, Mr. Beverage. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. We now sell. Steve Patterson would be all over that idea. I'm just saying, like. Sell a couple good mixed drinks in the in the concession stands at fan friendly pricing. Give me a little. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, the uh, the eleven a.m. kickoffs would certainly be more interesting. Horns up now, Longhorns. We're getting ready to kick, and with your other hand down, your complimentary Tito's. You'll find underneath your bleachers. That was good. Thank you. If you're looking for a new stadium voice. Kyle's in the Kyle's uh, in the market for uh, for for selling his services at least for uh, 
for a one-timer. But now we're going to move to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? I'm going to take two seconds just to remind you that I'm, I am again banging the drum on the phrase, if it ain't burn, it ain't turk, because that's so good. Um, but I'm actually going to bang the drum on some numbers today. And 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 this comes from from uh, my my good friend, Kyle Umlang. At you Kyle call him Umlang. a friend of the show, I think. Absolutely. That's at Kyle Umlang on Twitter. He has these fantastic tableau visualizations of Texas sports stats and history today they must follow uh we'll have to get him on the pod sometime but um he did a little a little analysis and i can't help but laugh because um if you if you've seen this you, you'll understand why um he he looked at the just head-to-head matchups again we we know that the state of texas has one school and some other pretty good lesser schools but there is a single university, TU, as some call it, to really pay homage and respect to the fact that it is the University of Texas. Of course, that's implied. But um, the University of Texas reigns supreme in one particular area over one uh, longtime uh, little brother opponent. That's right. The the Texas Aggies, who were recently called by their new athletic director i think his name is ross dork um it it may be like bjorn or you know maybe bjork but i'm gonna call him ross dork um he said texas a&m is a top five athletics department so first kyle pulled out the the, the receipts in texas a&m has finished three times in the in the top five of any major sport um i think since one of the world wars or something like that they're just they're, they're just not not even remotely close but then it's like okay but but what they do is they own their state and Kyle brought the receipts on that as well. Um, and then we retweeted it on the show's Twitter account, so go check it out there. I won't run through all of the numbers, but I will just say this. The all-time record, and this does not include swimming and diving, where Texas is by far the most dominant because it's hard to get this direct statistics. Um, but if we added that, this would only be much, 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 much more inflated with Texas's most dominant sport. But in baseball, softball, volleyball, soccer, men's and women's basketball, football, men's and women's tennis, your major kind of biggest sports at at texas and and texas a&m presumably the all-time record is texas 762 to texas a&m 366 they are not even half the school that we are that's all i got nothing for you man that was eloquent it's beautiful. Thanks for coming to our TED Talk. So um, my my banging the drum this week is kind of a continuation of last week. So if you haven't heard it, go back and listen. Uh, but we, we highlight so much of the athletics that we don't always focus on the student part of student athlete, right? And I saw something incredible on Twitter this week. Uh, Jeffrey McCullough, a guy who's probably going to be a pretty key contributor – this year for the University of Texas at linebacker, probably starting for them, played incredible in a couple of spots last year. Really good coverage linebacker. Uh, also is I'm gonna put I'm gonna go ahead and put him in right below the Acho brothers in my my theories of human evolution. Um, right below the Acho brothers for human development standards because again, Division one athlete 
and was just admitted to the Masters of Finance program at Macomb School of Business at the University of Texas, which is a big deal. Um, this is not your typical athletes getting a master's degree because they can program. Like the people who get into Macombs are legit. And so McCullough probably will not have an NFL career to speak of. He may take a shot at it, but the fact that he's getting his MFA from McCombs, one speaks volumes to who he is as in a student first rather than a student athlete. But the dude is just like, he's setting himself up to be in a position where he doesn't have to go pro in football to continue the success he's enjoyed at the university of Texas. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's utterly fantastic. It's, it's, I was looking at uh, just to kind of tie it all together with our rice interview earlier. I was looking at Jarrett Dillard because you said we're 81 days from the season and he was number 81 at rice. I was going to mention that earlier. Jarrett Dillard's a lawyer. Now he had a little cup of cup of coffee in, in the NFL and he, he, is a lawyer now and a successful one and you go to a school like rice and you kind of expect that if you're an undergraduate you expect that if you play football um that's texas too and 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 you mentioned the achos you you mentioned the shark you mentioned these guys this is texas you know this is what i think of when i think of texas well-rounded smart uh you know, obviously hardworking to be able to get to that that goal. Um, relatively humble. All those people we just mentioned are, are people who have this great success and don't need to rub it in your face. Um, and 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 just you know, all around excellent. That is that is what I what drew me to the University of Texas when I was looking for a school. It is what uh, part of certainly what ultimately keeps me orbiting and always close and uh, you know giving back. And 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 that's why we're on this podcast here. This is um, you know what starts here changes the world and there's no doubt about it and i'm unbelievably proud when we give these stories that that um you know really shine a light on the student athlete and wonderful education going on in the 48 the fact that you're able to play collegiate football and do well in school enough to have the grades to get into mccombs at, in a master's program like that is just because I sure as heck did not, and I did not have a 40-hour-a-week job that basically required me to be up early in the morning, stay up late at night. Um, so big ups to the Shark. Man, we are – I was always going to be like a forever Shark fan, but this just continues to add to the legacy of the man that we call the Shark. That's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. If you want to get your show or your tweets read out on the show, you can uh, use the hashtag replies of Texas. And always you can shoot us an email longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. If it ain't burnt, it ain't turned.